0: Hello and welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. On the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie Community, I'm Blaze Bryant.
1: And I'm Sina Bazilahickey. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Grannies for Peace. Calling for a ceasefire in Ukraine on Valentine's Day, Mark Dunley interviews Mabel Leon. Then, Elizabeth Press gets an update from NYCLU on the win for more police transparency in the Troy Police Department. Later on, Avery Stemple joins us to talk about psilocybin legislation and the work of talking to senators and assembly members. After that, Bria Barthel talks about books with Ian Houck, head of reference and adult services at Troy Public Library Finally, Blaze Bryant talks with retired National Weather Service meteorologist Hugh Johnson about stratospheric warming and its impact on our winter weather. But first, here are the headlines. Thank
0: you much, Cena. Troy's new emergency alert system has been turned on. The Civic Ready system will be used for both emergencies, along with non-emergency alerts, which significantly impact the community. You can read more about the new system at civicplus.com. That's C-I-V-I-C-P-L-U-S dot
1: Five people have been displaced after a house fire in Scotia. The fire happened around 7 p.m. on Saturday night on Scanandaga Road firefighters also found some cats and dogs they were able to get everyone out the cause of the fire is under investigation
0: back to troy where police are investigating a shooting they say it happened early sunday morning near the intersection of fifth avenue and 118th street the victim was shot in the arm their injuries are not life-threatening If you have any information about this shooting, you can call detectives at 518-270-4421.
1: There's a Black History Month display at the Capitol. The exhibit looks at voting rights in the U.S. It also shows how Black and minority voters were disenfranchised once they had the right to cast their ballot. You can find the exhibit in the governor's reception room on the second floor. And that's it for headlines.
0: You are listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation.
1: Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390.
0: Valentine's Day marks a day of love. And for the grannies of peace, showing love means calling for peace. This year, they are calling to start immediate peace talks in Ukraine and to halt the killing and destruction. Mark Dunley
2: reports. For this week's Peace Bucket, we're joined by our frequent guest, uh, Mabel Leon. And this Valentine's Day, as they always do, Grannies for Peace is holding a rally at 4 p.m. Uh, or vigil for Valentine's Day. So Mabel, you want to give us the details and why are Granny's for Peace mobilizing this year?
3: Yes, thank you very much for having me on. And hopefully this will bring additional people. Grannies for Peace are sponsoring a peace vigil and demonstration at the corner of Wolf and Central Avenue from four to five (laughs) on Valentine's Day, that's tomorrow. Uh, The theme of our vigil, is start Ukraine peace talks now. Ukraine peace talks now. As grannies, we've been horrified by the death of civilians, children, the destruction, the intense suffering of the Ukrainian people. And that is our motivation for calling for peace talks. We have several Parts several things we're asking for an end to the killing of civilians, an end to the destructive infrastructure bombing, which has left families without power, no heat for their homes uh, in the middle of a very cold winter. And it means the source of water is turned off. So you're talking about the essence of life, housing, water, heat, and food. Um, So we're calling for an end to that. We also have grave concerns about the nuclear threat. the nuclear scientific assessment has stated that the war definitely increases the, nis- the risk of nuclear war or nuclear accident. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists have just issued a statement that this is a time of unparalleled danger, unprecedented danger. That may, should make all of us sit up and take notice. Uh, a nuclear um, nuclear disaster of any kind would not only affect Ukraine and Russia, but affect the whole world. The other item that we've had on uh, our call to action is to call a halt to the expansion of NATO. And I know that's controversial. It is purposely put there because uh, Russia is very concerned about its security and we want peace talks to begin. It doesn't mean this is a closed topic, but NATO itself can be a problem. It is uh, less a defensive organization than an offensive one. So um, I do want to state at this point that, um very clearly Ukraine is a sovereign nation and it was militarily invaded and insulted by Russia and Russia has that responsibility on them there can be no excuses no defenses they began the invasion and they have been really using civilians attack on civilians and the misery of civilians as a war tactic.
2: So what can we in the United States, you know, be be doing at this point? And do these talks involve Ukraine, Russia? Does NATO have a role in the talks? Does the United States have a role in these talks? How do we make these talks occur realistically? Well...
3: um, (laughs) I am not an expert, but I feel that uh, our particular culture does not seem to have respect for trying to solve anything by getting people together. So I would say there are probably several different levels of talks that should be occurring, and I hope are occurring. And. Uh, They don't it doesn't start, you know, people think, oh, well, Biden will negotiate with Putin. Well, no. And uh, don't forget that Ukraine is a primary player. But what I would say, I would like to see my government put as much energy and concentrated effort into seeking peaceful positions and peaceful solutions than just sending weapons.
2: Should they be sending weapons at this point?
3: I think this is a painful topic. As we're well aware, there is a great deal of controversy about the war in Ukraine. And clearly, as a principle, each of us has um, the right to defend ourselves when attacked. Ukraine was attacked. But what I get and, and, and fight back they are and fight back they have a right to do. I get concerned when it's more and more and more weapons as if this is a way that is prolonging the misery of everyone. So um, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I know there's a lot of controversy. Um, As a mother and grandmother, I want to see the suffering come to an end. So that means there needs to be peace. And peace doesn't happen uh, out of the sky. Peace happens as a result of hard work. And that's what I want our country to be investing in.
2: So can you explain a little bit um, Valentine's Day, Tuesday, February fourteenth, four PM, Central Avenue and Wolf? You, you know what what what's gonna happen? Will there be speeches? Will people carry in signs? No, Is a silent vigil? Um,
3: it's not a place conducive to having speeches so this is in very much a peace vigil slash demonstration in which we will have two large banners that read uh Ukraine peace talks now And there will be other um, signs talking about the suffering in Ukraine and the need for peace. But And then we will have Grannies for Peace banner, Women Against War banner. And we reach out to everyone who wants to promote peace to join us. We welcome, we are grannies, but we welcome men and women and whoever wants to join us, young or
2: Old. And obviously, you know, Ukraine needs to take the lead on, on, on defining this. But, you know, w- what does a ceasefire, you know, look like? And you mentioned, you know, the future role of, of NATO. Do it ex- how does NATO and Russia and the United States come together to promote, you know, their mutual security, not their mutual d- distrust and conflict?
3: Now, there's an assignment. (laughs) NATO has been a problem, and many people don't see NATO that way. They put tremendous uh, faith in NATO and want NATO to take over every country and want to surround Russia. Uh, I think we need to work, we, we need to coexist. I know that's not a popular opinion, and that's not what I would say to Ukraine at this point, Ukraine has suffered the most. It should be pointed out also that there is suffering going on in Russia and there are many men that are uh, participating in this war that don't wanna be there. Um, Free speech has really been put down. So it makes it hard for people to express their dissent within Russia. Join us if you believe that peace is the answer. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Mabel Leon, Grannies of Peace, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 4 p.m. And this has been um, Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine.
1: Mark gives us a peace segment every Wednesday night and Thursday morning, and that Valentine's Day. Demonstration from 4 to 5, it's at the crossing of Wolf Road and Central Avenue in Colony with Grannies for Peace.
0: Well, what a good time for them to be doing it, Cena. as rush hour traffic will be fast and furious. And it certainly is a very busy intersection. And just Google Grannies for Peace
1: absolutely, if you would
0: like to learn more. To our next story since 50A was repealed in 2020 the new york civil liberties union has been working to get police misconduct records out to the public on february 9th of this year they won a case against the troy police department elizabeth press or ep caught up with bobby hodgson of the new york civil liberties union here's their chat
4: in 2020, New York lawmakers and Governor Andrew Cuomo repealed Section 50A of the state civil rights law, which had been used to shield police disciplinary records from public view. With 50A repealed, the NYCLU filed FOIL requests for police disciplinary records in Troy and throughout New York State, but it did not succeed in getting some of them, especially here in Troy we had nyclu supervising attorney bobby hudson on hudson mohawk magazine back in july to talk about some of these lawsuits that were filed to get access to these records well now they have just won the lawsuit here in troy bobby congratulations and i was wondering if you can further recap what happened since we last talked to you regarding this police transparency win in the NYCLU versus the
5: Troy PD. Sure, absolutely, and thank you again for for having me on to talk about this. The NYCLU back in 2020, after Section 50A was repealed, and these documents were supposed to be made public. These are misconduct records, records related to what happens when someone goes into their police department and says, you know, something happened to me that was wrong, that misconduct occurred, investigations should flow from that, et cetera. And of course, previously all these records had been secret, statewide, pursuant to 50A. So we went in, and in Troy, and as you said, in about you know a dozen other places around the state, said, okay, well, 50A is repealed. Please give us you know (laughs) several decades of your misconduct investigation records and your disciplinary files, um, so that the people of these communities can see what does this process look like. What does accountability look like in my community? And in Troy very similar, unfortunately, to what happened in a lot of places, the department basically threw up a bunch of different barriers and tried to say it didn't have to turn over the vast majority of these documents. And in this case, similar to to many other police departments, it was arguing, okay, 50A doesn't exist anymore, but what I can do is rely on these other freedom of information law exemptions. Uh, There's a there's an exemption for unwarranted invasions of personal privacy. And they were saying essentially that the release of any disciplinary files or misconduct investigation records where the Troy Police Department itself did not impose discipline would constitute an invasion of privacy. No portion of it could be turned over. This prevented us from knowing How many complaints had been filed in Troy over the last 20 years? What happened with them? How long they were taken to be investigated? This is an argument that a lot of places have made, and we explained in this lawsuit why it it has to fail. When the the legislature in 2020 took away 50A, it also amended our FOIA law specifically to get at these words. It said law enforcement disciplinary records, exactly these things, including complaints, allegations, things that, you know. Might not have resulted in discipline are exactly the type of records that the people need to see to understand what accountability looks like in their community. You know, we made these arguments before the court. Court processes take quite some time. And we are now at a position, (laughs) two and a half years after we made our our FOIL request, to start getting these documents. So we got this great decision in Troy. And what it means is all of these documents um, disciplinary files, misconduct investigation records regardless of whether Troy itself decided to impose discipline on an officer, need to be turned over. here was particularly gratifying and also indicative of what's going to happen around the state, because what it did is it relied on some other cases that the NYCLU brought against Syracuse and Rochester that have made it up to the appellate courts of New York State, the appellate division, where similar police departments' arguments were made, and that higher court rejected them and said, you cannot use. Privacy exemption to shield misconduct allegations and investigation records. That's that is not what you're allowed to do in this post 50A repeal world. And lower courts around the state are now bound by those decisions out of the Fourth Department of New York's Appellate Division, which is a an, an appellate court in Rochester. So here in Troy, we're we're really excited to you know finally get at. This particular set of documents for the people of Troy and to make them public. Um, we don't know yet if Troy will seek to appeal the decision.
4: So, Bobby, does that mean that you actually haven't gotten your hands on the documents as of yet?
5: Absolutely not. So, this decision came out yesterday. Um, you know, Troy has the opportunity, if they want, to try and appeal this decision up to that, you know, inter- that appellate court. Um, You know, we're certainly hopeful that they won't do that because, of course, there are now cases that have gone to those appellate courts (laughs) where we've also won. Um, So really, at this point, they should they should be turning over these documents, um, doing it quickly. Um, You know, one feature of this case in Troy is that the judge also ordered that Troy pay, you know, attorneys fees to the a You know, demonstrated series of delays uh missed deadlines you know self-imposed deadlines that Troy you know missed in terms of turning over other documents or getting us responses um, that led to us having to file the lawsuit in the first place you know it was particularly egregious what happened here and the judge in recognizing that ordered that Troy not only turn over the documents um, but also you know is responsible for the fact that this lawsuit needed to be brought in the first place
4: And when you first filed the FOIL request, um, it seemed like uh, John Salka and the city was going to comply in some way. They they were saying it was coming at specific dates and then that date would come and then it would say that it was too much information or Mm -hmm. um, too big of a request. Is this a similar thing that happened in other localities as well or is this sort of specific to Troy?
5: No, unfortunately, it's something that we've seen a lot around the state. In addition to sort of throwing up a kitchen sink of legal arguments, saying we don't have to turn these over, we've seen a lot of places, you know, sort of slow roll production and delay and delay and delay. And I'd say with, you know, over a dozen requests that the NYCLU alone has made around the state, I can think of very few places where they've like fully completed their productions and so it is an unfortunate fact that delays, missed deadlines, um, and you know other types of barriers to to release of this information are a pretty common feature of these types of requests.
4: Bobby, you all have had other wins uh, for the release of records throughout New York State. What are some sort of like broad stroke takeaways in terms of filing? these lawsuits regarding police transparency?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a frustration, right? An initial frustration that the promise of 50A, which was basic information that go, that allows the public to have an informed conversation about accountability, right, like this is, this is just the first step. This is information that people need so that they can see what does discipline even look like in my community. A big picture takeaway is a lot of disappointment and frustration that the promise of 50A, what the legislature intended to happen back in the summer of 2020, and what the people of New York were calling for, is still, you know, really unfulfilled in a lot of ways. I think there are positives to be taken from the progress we've made and the really important legal victories that these cases are slowly starting to add up. And as I said, now that we have a higher level court decision that is binding on all these lower courts, There is a hope that things will keep rolling and and agencies will really start complying more and more. And so there's a gratification and a vindication that judges are recognizing 50A was repealed. You cannot be throwing up these types of arguments and trying to reinstate 50A under some other name and, and keep this sort of shroud of secrecy over all these documents. There's a lot of positive to be taken from the fact that that's what's happened in Troy, that that's what's happened in so many of our cases around the state. But you know, for the people in these communities who've wanted to see these documents for decades and who were entitled to them back in June 20, I think there's reasonable and understandable frustration that it keeps taking so long.
4: As we start to wrap up here, is there anything else that we should know about this? win with Troy, or I know obviously you said they have the opportunity to appeal it, but when we might actually see these documents
5: produced? We will know within the month whether they intend to appeal, and if they don't, we will come up with a schedule for them to turn over documents. So there's a little bit of uncertainty about how quickly it could happen once, you know, if they do decide to go ahead and turn them over instead of appealing. Um, But I'm happy to keep you updated. Hope is that this happens as quickly as possible. That's for, and we want to make it as productive and as, as open to the public as soon as possible as it can be. The judge did order the parties to come back within 30 days of his decision um, to talk a little bit about that attorney's fees issue that I talked about. Um, so at the very least, we know that we'll have some answers and we'll be able to be coming back with you know a sense of how this is going to proceed within the month. Um, but again, these things take a little bit of time. And so we're just going to keep pushing forward and hope that the documents come out as, as soon as possible.
1: That was Elizabeth Perdet. That was Elizabeth Press speaking with um, Bobby Hodgson of the NYCLU. And on the topic of police accountability, the city of Troy is seeking candidates to serve on the Police Objective Review Board. Applications for this volunteer position are open until April 30th. And if you'd like more information on this, reach out to us. We'll send around information and we're working on a story to follow up. Blaze? Blaze?
0: Great. Thank you very much, Sina Bazila-Hickey. If you are just tuning in, I am Blaze Bryant. You are listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network. W-O-O-C-L-P, 105.3 FM Troy. W-O-O-G-L-P, 92.7 FM Troy. W-O-O-S-L-P, 98.9 FM Schenectady. W-O-O-A-L-P, 106.9 FM Albany and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, Cena.
1: Yeah, I'm Cena Bazila-Hickey. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Sharing is caring. Spreading the word is showing love. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org.
0: And that is how you can become not only a sanctuary sustainer, but a sanctuary valentine as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These past few weeks have been crucial for groups who are seeking to push legislation. Don't I know? We are now joined by Avery Stemple. Go ahead and unmute Avery of the New York Psilocybin Action Committee and the Collar City Mushrooms, who last week was meeting with senators and assembly members about psilocybin legislation. Avery Stemple, welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us.
6: Yeah, thank you, Blaze and Cena, for having me on the program.
0: Certainly. It's a pleasure to have you. How did your meetings go with senators and assembly members? I know through my own advocacy work, Avery, with the New York Association on Independent Living, You know, we're in primetime budget season. I'm guessing is the psilocybin legislation you're looking to pass. I'm guessing that is an out of budget bill at this point.
6: It is an out of budget bill. Uh, Pat Burke, the one that we were um, focusing on, uh, actually, he had hoped to wrap into the budget. uh, But that is uh, a 3581, these are really nice names for these bills, Um, and that relates to the medical use of psilocybin, establishes a psilocybin-assisted therapy grant program, and makes an appropriation therefor, Uh, and that is one of the bills that is currently in the Assembly, and that has a matching bill, uh, S3520, sponsored by Natalia Fernandez, Uh, does not have any other co-sponsors in the Senate just yet. Uh, but we're hoping to make uh, a headway with that, with some of the meetings that we had last week and the communications that we've been having since. Uh, sure. I, I would I would be remiss to to um, if I didn't point out that I'm also here on behalf of uh, New Yorkers for Mental Health Alternatives, which is our 501c4 organization that we took over this past year in order to be able to uh, operate officially f- through the um, uh, all the appropriate fundraising channels. And the New York Psilocybin Action Committee is now just a, a subcommittee under that uh, under that umbrella of NIMA.
0: Right. So just so people know, 501c4s, they basically allow you to do lobbying efforts and uh, – fundraising, just to kind of make that distinction, because there are so many 501Cs, as as we all know. Uh, How do you feel your meetings went?
6: Blaze? you know what, I was really surprised and heartened. Uh, This is, as you pointed out, a very busy uh, period for the uh, legislators. And we did meet with a lot of staff members, but we met in person with uh, Assemblymember uh, Clark, Sarah Clark, and she she had just signed on as a sponsor for the bill and was really excited to talk to us. We met in person with Senator Natalia Fernandez, who you know we only had twenty minutes or so scheduled with her, but we ended up talking to her for almost an hour and had to had to apologize to the group that was waiting for her uh, in, in her um, entry area vestibule. But she was very, very excited, and it—it it, really—I I know it's easy to get washed with the political glad handing of like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. But it seemed very positive with people learning about psilocybin, and that—that that is one of the main goals that we have right now in this session: is just to educate people. Because for the most part, when you mention psilocybin or, or magic mushrooms, people picture going to a festival or just hanging out at a bonfire and, and or, you know, a Friday night with some friends, they don't understand the myriad of ways that psilocybin has been applied therapeutically and, and medicinally. And, and that is our main goal for this session is to, to really spread the word and, and hope lay a, a solid foundation for um, this movement going forward.
1: When you're talking about educating, what are some what are some of the m- biggest misunderstandings or uh, misconceptions on psilocybin that you have to? Well,
6: I, I mean, it, misunderstandings. It, well, so the the stereotype that has been created over the last 50 years or so is just, you know, people wanting to cut loose and and hang out with friends and, you know, enjoy some mild hallucinations and. And maybe listen to the music on a, on a deeper level. And the the stigma is that it's mostly young people and it, you know it's it's people going to festivals and it's a bunch of hippies in the in the woods essentially is is literally the quote unquote that we've gotten. Um, but from working at our mushroom farm, the wide range of people coming in asking for help, because they've seen the research and they've they've really been looking into how psilocybin containing mushrooms can impact their well-being and or their family members well-being is has been staggering it's it's yes it is those younger people with a smile and a, and a giggle but it's people in their 70s looking for palliative care for their aging parent who who's in hospice there's there are uh, people in their 50s who actually are looking for help w- with their children because their, their younger children in, in their teens or 20s are struggling with the pharmaceutical medications that they've been prescribed that haven't worked and the therapies that they've been trying for years and they haven't worked. And and all of this body of research on psilocybin as it applies to um, uh, the therapeutic me- uh, 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 means is is really staggering and now uh, research is coming out about how it can be used for pain management as well and one of our uh, advocates joe mckay is a retired new york firefighter and he suffers from cluster headaches and cluster headaches are an unstudied ailment that people really don't understand what is causing them. They know what can exacerbate and bring on these clusters, but not the root. And what they've determined is that LSD and psilocybin-containing mushrooms are two of the only substances that actually make the pain go away. Uh, and that is, uh, they're, they're assuming because of the, the neural regenerative path uh, uh, aspects of these psychedelic mush, uh, medicines. And so joe just tells you know he came to our our sessions with all of the assembly makers and and senators and told his story over and over again reliving how he started first suffering from uh, this cluster headaches and then realized he was suffering from uh, um, survivor's guilt and ptsd because he was a 9-11 survivor Uh, he actually was supposed to work that day and one of his best friends did work and and was unfortunately among the members who went missing and, and, and was discovered days later. And he then, because of his cluster headaches, got hooked on opioids and was just trying to dull the pain with all these different medications. And when he started taking psilocybin, it cured him of his cluster headaches. It made him process his trauma and understand his survivor's guilt. And it got him off of the opioids. And so he, he is one of the, the most amazing people to uh, share his story because he really can speak to how psilocybin and, and other psychedelics have helped give him his life back and, and really allow him to be a, a participating member of society.
0: Sure, Avery Stemple with me, Blaze Bryant, and Cena Bazila Hickey on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. The time has flown, Avery. We've got about ninety seconds left with you. Wish it was a lot longer. What do you say to the Alcohol and Substance Abuse Committee, which exists in both houses of the legislature, and clearly just in that naming alone suggests, you know, anything that's not legal, they don't want a damn thing to do with it. Well, yeah.
6: And unfortunately there, that's where we have to change the mindsets because psilocybin and LSD applied therapeutically actually breaks people's addictions. And the first federally funded psilocybin study is right now underway uh, in North Carolina, I believe, and it's uh, on smoking cessation. And so with a therapist's assistance and two to three psilocybin sessions. And and sometimes as little as one people have broken their addictions to alcohol to, to heroin to, to a variety of substances. And then you don't need the, the psilocybin. It's not something that you're like, Oh, I'm going to take it every morning for the rest of my life. It's, it's I'm going to take this session to take this medicine and have a session with a therapist and process my my reliance on substances and really get away from it so it can save lives and save taxpayers millions of dollars in paying for these addiction and and trauma uh uh, programs
1: Avery Stemple, it's always a pleasure to have you on our program for listeners who'd like to get more information where can they do that
6: Sure. You can follow us on Instagram at NY Psilocybin Action Committee. Uh, And you can also go to our website, which is just www.nymha.com. So that's New Yorkers for Mental Health Alternatives. And if you want to follow our Collar City Mushrooms gourmet and legal medicinal work, that is uh, Collar City Mushrooms on Instagram and or Facebook or visit our website www.collarcitymushrooms.com.
1: Thank Let's you have so you much.
0: back again soon, Avery Stemple. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's time to go from psilocybin to a book talk segment by my usual co-host Bria Barthel, who this week gives us a book rec- or gives us some book recommendations on the topics of spies, wasps,
7: and more stinging things. Hi, this is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, talking once again with Ian Houck, Head of Reference and Adult Services for Troy Public Library at 102nd Street, to get some books that may intrigue some of you listeners. Ian, what do you have for us?
8: Well, uh, as I usually do, I have a graphic novel with me. Uh, This time it is Reckless by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips this is a classic noir story but set in the 1980s los angeles we have our main character ethan reckless he is a former fbi agent who has who had infiltrated a separatist anti-war group but now later on after an explosion finds himself drawn back in to some of its members to solve another mystery ethan himself being a bit of a fixer take uh, depending on the price you're willing to pay in his moot that day he'll take on just about any job from repossessing a car to uh, intimidating someone you'd rather not have around and It hits all the classic noir beats of uh, the sh- you know the dark main character, the paper spread out on the desk with a bottle of whiskey, plenty of smoking among the characters, and getting jumped by a some hired hands when you get too close to the mystery. So it's a great, uh, exciting graphic novel read uh, for the uh, adult audience. And uh, we are continuing the series uh, as we move along.
7: The cover shows somebody holding a bloody hatchet and a car catching fire. And uh, I don't know if it's the time period it's set in or if this is just um, an older, it's not an older book, but it has the main character going to a phone booth. When's the last time you saw one of those?
8: Um, In my lifetime, not since the early 2000s in my uh, small hometown.
7: (laughs) Great. And what's next?
8: next we have a private spy the letters of john lecar edited by tim cornwell uh, john lecar of course being one of the prominent espionage thriller writers uh that we all know of uh, writing most of the british uh espionage theory himself john lecar being an mi5 in mi5 uh, at a time in his life. But this is a collection of personal letters that were collected from his life. And it has a lot of interesting personal things. We sometimes think the spies would be, um, you know, the Mar- we think of the James Bond version of a British spy, but this is a personal day-to-day reckoning of what this author is. And it goes all the way from... Like the mundane of he was writing a friend to ask to take care of, you know, a pet bird for a while, just like you and I would ask our neighbor to take care of a cat to some really funny lines that in a British sense of humor, you would love. uh, He begins one letter with a darling. Left Brussels this morning at 5 a.m., having spent an acutely uncomfortable night in a small hotel exactly like the one in Genevieve. Do you remember? The clock struck, the plumbing went wrong. It was all, above all, it was too hot that in desperation, I finally left and drove the car off. (laughs) Um, So you look into the interesting personal life of this man, writing these thrilling spy novels that uh, many of us have read and some of which have turned into movies, uh, most famously um, the spy that came in from the cold.
7: He wrote a lot of letters. It's 630 pages just of the letters, and then there's CODA with more information, a 50-page index at the end. So this is for real John Lecare fans. Next.
8: Next is a uh, science book, Endless Forms, The Secret World of Wasps by Sirian Sumner. Now, this book, I will say, is not going to make you love wasps, but it will teach you a bit more about them and um, give you a new look at them, even if you still don't come along favorably. Um, Now, she does talk about the history of the wasps, um, and how it's been used in the past, uh, when, things we even forget about, like being used in Agatha Christie's own writing, the wasp mess. And um, often she, they are um, comparing the wasp to what we would rather talk about, I believe, bees, and um, actually learned that the wasp has been a long been around on the planet longer than the bee and is actually one of its um, predecessors. The wasp has been around since the Jurassic period and has diverted off into the many different forms, including the lovable bees that we all know today. The wasp, as we all know, a bit more aggressive, but we can imagine that coming from a bit more of an aggressive time period, having evolved that long. And there are some interesting things you'll learn in this book, like Uh, The author gives you two word bubbles, one for the bee and one for the wasp, just to see the comparison of the two. The bee is associated with pollination, buzzing, flowers, sunshine, summer. The wasp, but the very first thing is aggressive, stinging, uh, annoying, pest. So you see the comparison uh, socially of the two insects, but... They really want to come to the defense of the wasp and talk about their complex social structures, um, why they evolved the way they did, how they all evolved differently, and how um, there are many different versions of the wasp, just as there are with the, uh, the bee. You know, uh, talks about the migration of the uh, Asian wasp coming into Europe, but then also talking about how they can grow to such an immense size in the tropical region that they could almost be um, compared to small birds.
7: (laughs) Wait, say that again? A wasp as big as a small bird?
8: In the tropical regions, they can grow up to that size, according to the author.
7: I may never go to the tropics again. There's also some interesting color photo inserts. Uh, One is showing a whole bunch of different kinds and shapes of wasp nests um, and wasps interacting, possibly eating different spiders and critters and things. Uh, You got to love science and nature to love this book. And again, it's heaps of details. So it's 340 some pages about wasps, but it looks interesting. Thank you. And the, the Uh, Next book
8: is We Spread by Ian Reed. This is a novel about an aging artist who moves after what are referred to as a few incidents in um, in their later life, moves to a, uh, a care facility, but it's a care facility with only four residents in it. And the creeping sense you get from the book is both about, I believe, um, the aging of the artist and aging as a person living in life, but they also uh, bring into the idea of the forest surrounding the house they all live in, how time stands still, but also creeps in, uh, how you can feel the age, how you... Uh, how time feels differently the more you've lived through it. And there is a bit of a kind of mystery element to it as um, our main character kind of begins to feel uneasy in their new life living in this house, Um, whether it be through the mystery kind of of the forest around them, but also just the people uh, around them at the moment. And it is an exciting read that both reads quickly, but you feel the illusion of time in the writing. Uh, By that, I mean the paragraphs or the dialogue are very cut up. There's a lot of what we would call white space on the page between the sections you're reading. So you feel like you're moving through the page very quickly, but that, I believe it feels like it helps with the distortion of the perception of time.
7: Very interesting. And I'm looking at the blurbs on the back of the book, and they use words like hypnotic transmission, mysterious novel, suspenseful, philosophically rich. Thanks for calling this to our attention. And Ian, as always, thanks for your uh, great suggestions, and thanks for sharing it with us.
8: Yes, thank you for having me.
7: This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, talking with Ian Hauk, reference and adult services librarian at Troy Public Library Main Branch at 102nd Street. To find these books, to find information on lots of other stuff going on at the library, visit their website, thetroylibrary.org. Use the word the at the beginning, or else you'll get Troy in some other state.
1: Bria Barthel goes all around this area talking about books. And if you have a bookstore or a book recommendation or a book theme that you'd like to share with Bria, please be in touch at hmmmediasanctuary.org. At
0: we put a bow on the show with retired meteorologist with the National Weather Service, Hugh Johnson, as we do on most Monday evenings and Tuesday mornings. Hey there, Hugh. How
9: are you? I'm good. It's a brisk morning in Florida, but it's, uh, you know, I'm taking a nice walk on the beach.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. It's not exactly quite beach weather here to be taking a walk in the morning.
9: But, <laughs>
0: hey, I am happy that you get to have that opportunity. So, uh, speaking of weather, I'm saying it's brisk because it's 25, let's face it. Around this time of the year, that's above normal, which is largely where we've been here throughout much of the winter. What's going on?
9: Well, again, it's been, we've been in the way the jet stream has been oriented, oriented. We've had a southwest flow. We've talked about this. The polar vortex has spent most of the time way up north, and uh, we've just been in an amazingly mild Pacific flow, with the exception of the, 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 the breaker last week and the cold weather around Christmas. That's really been it. We've had a few little, a few moderate snowstorms, but other than that, it's been an amazingly mild winter, that is for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, not only has it been mild, Hugh, we've also seen when these types of snowstorms and whatnot have happened and when there have been these cold snaps, the temperature fluctuations have just been absolutely incredible.
9: What's the cause? Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, again, because uh, the, the, the main pattern has been really a, a warm one. Um, and, uh, that can, this is going to continue this week, but there, there are signs that, that could change. And I know we've said this before and we, we had a little, what we call a stratospheric warming event early February when we had that one week where it got cold. Okay. So it, it actually helped induce that really quick shot of brutally cold air. It looks like it would be a more substantial one and perhaps the collapse of the polar vortex, if it has been wound tightly up north, and that could allow, what weakening of the vortex to allow for the colder air to come down and stay a while. And we could end up seeing a reversal of the weather pattern that we could actually start getting coastal loads. Again, it's not itching stone, but this exact same thing happened in 18. We had a mild winter. Well, we were cold. We had initially very cold and then it got very mild. that we hit the 70s that on february i remember that we got got this yeah and then we had this um stratosphere warming event and just as people were ready for spring we had we got slammed with three nor'easters in march and then it was really cold in april april in some ways bothered me more because it it didn't snow much but we still we couldn't lock the cold pattern at that point so it's not not saying it's going to happen exactly like that but i i I got kind of a bad feeling that it's going to We're going to be in for a little rude awakening here. Or if you like winter, then you'll be happy. But most people by March are ready for spring.
0: (laughs) See, pitchers and catchers report for baseball season here in the next few days. And to me, that is when I start to get a little optimistic and looking forward to spring. So that's where I personally sit on this here. Hugh Johnson with me, Blaze Bryant, on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Now, what is... How are you able to kind of forecast this far out, or at least somewhat project we could be in for a little bit of a rude awakening bef- just before spring hits?
9: Because we we've, uh, we've, uh, we follow this thing called, you uh, look at the, uh, the stratosphere above the polar vortex and the miles have gotten really good at actually seeing when there's, there's a sudden warming of that stratosphere we're talking 50 degrees Celsius, uh, the 50 degrees Celsius, where it warms up dramatically, and what that happens is it weakens the westerlies, which is what's kind of steering the whole thing, kind of holding it together like a like a tightly wound uh, uh, spiral. And then mm-hmm. it kind of weakens it, and that allows for the cold air to seep south. And then it also produces a, a more blocky jet stream. And generally speaking, when that happens, we go into what's called a negative North Atlantic Oscillation, which we have not been most of this winter. So again, this is based on what we've seen in the past, and, and it happens six out of ten times in a decade. It didn't happen in the 90s much. It was very interesting. When I look back, it was a, a period where it almost never happened. But And I think with global, with climate change and global warming, it's it, because it's warming faster at the poles that would make a tendency for it to perhaps become a little more frequent in the years. And it also seems to happen usually later in the winter than earlier. Ah,
0: so... Fuxatani Phil and the groundhogs and you know all the various state animals that predict these things—they're right. wrong,
9: <laughs> right? Actually, they, they said six more weeks of winter. They said—I mean, uh, not that I—I I rely on a rodent, but he said six more weeks of winter, so he might be right.
0: <laughs> oh well, I, I don't rely on the rodent either, uh, you know, which is partially, yeah, I wish, I wish. <laughs> yeah, one of the main reasons why we talk to you about these things you know yeah. you you tend to oh, you. yeah well you, you you tend to know a little bit more than they do uh, oh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh Hugh Johnson with me, Blaze Bryant here on Hudson Mohawk magazine, so you kind of teed up the next topic I wanted to talk with you about, and that is the climate change and its impacts on stratospheric warming and and how it impacts things seemingly later on in the winter you talked about how this didn't happen so much in the 90s but we're in a different spot climate wise too
9: we are indeed we've warmed up uh, probably half a degree Celsius another another correlation is sunspot activity we've talked about this in the past it doesn't have a the sunspots don't have a lot of bearing on climate but they do have some and there is some indication that here forming happens warm and the sunspots are at a minimum I forget the exact correlation, but there is, it's there, and uh, we had a very active sunspots in the '90s. I mean, we had you know very high numbers, and, and it has dropped off. It it's coming back a little bit, but a lot of people are a lot of scientists are saying we're going into what's called a Marauder minimum, we'll have very few sunspots in the next decade or so. And some people say that could be reverse climate change. I say no, no way, it's not going to do it. But that that definitely could be another reason for perhaps more of these solar uh we've got a at warming event.
0: Very interesting. You know how this how this stuff all works and I was just kind of thinking for a second here, the pandemic and its impacts on climate change. When people were not traveling, of course they were a bit more positive. But now right. that some people are going back to the office whether they want to or they're being dragged back and you have <laughs> some people like myself who are are working from home you know how how is what we have seen so far at least in the past i would say year because let's face it 2020 2021 there wasn't a lot of office activity in terms of climate change and its correlation with the stratospheric warming right um how but, would... this
9: year, but this year, there's more, right? You say more people sure. are shooting, and there's. So, unfortunately, one thing it does, and one particular thing that you, if you look at the charts, is that the CO2 emissions are back up again. You can actually see on the charts, they were, they dropped a little bit in 20 and 21, especially 20, and now it's back up again. We're right, and that's, I talked about that a few weeks ago. It's like we're, we're, we're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. We're still putting, A lot of CO2 in the atmosphere, too much. So, so yeah, climate, you know, so we're still warming the earth.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we have seen all these various news stories about transit authorities talking about, oh, well, we're right back to pre pandemic levels. That's all well and good. That's great. You know, ridership, that's money for the economy, all that good stuff. But the price that has been paid is a negative impact on the climate
9: change. Absolutely. You know, the, I, I, I'm going to say it again. The only way for VETS now, at least in the short term, is to try to really ramp up the uh, technology of EVs so that they can actually be charged in minutes, not hours. I mean, they've are they come a long way, and I think if the technology is there. It's just a matter of how quickly they can deliver it to your house, you say, or, or you, right. can, you can take, be at your house and charge it. You know, they can go 250 miles on a charge, some, some up to 400. And that's all good, but, okay, so you drive 400 miles, and the last thing you want to do. You want to wait a couple hours for your car to charge, unless it's at your place that you're at. You don't want to be hanging around. when You're ready to all sure. the day, you know, have a drink or go for a walk. So, yep, 45-second weather
0: forecast here. The clock's getting away from us here.
9: Okay, guys, here we go. While this week, in fact, we'll be up in the 50s on Wednesday and Thursday, when showers come through, turns a little colder for the weekend, then warms up next week. So no real sign of apparent change until we get to late
0: next week. Well done, Hugh Johnson. Have a great couple of weeks. We will talk with you on, uh, well, at the end of the month here.
9: All right, you too. Great.
1: Thanks for that, Blaze Bryant. Hugh Johnson, he joins us every week, unless it's a holiday, for the weather and climate update.
0: You are very welcome, Cena Bazila-Hickey, and that does it for our show. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I am Blaze Bryant, and our producer, engineer, and co-host. We'll tell you more.
1: And I'm Cena Bazila Bria Barthel is out this week, but send our greetings to Bria. And we want to thank all of the other volunteers who made this episode possible. Many thanks to Mark Dunley, to Elizabeth Press, aka EP, Blaze, Bria, Thank you for all that you do.
0: We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary. Send us an email, hmm at mediasanctuary.org Tune in every weekday at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news and stream, Sanctuary Radio, again at mediasanctuary.org, where you also can find full episodes and individual stories also available on most podcast platforms. We appreciate you listening for Cena Bazila Hickey. I'm Blaze Bryant. We will talk soon here on Hudson Mohawk Magazine.